0: A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this.
1: Adidas.
2: Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your
0: loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it.
1: Alright folks, welcome to Ammo and Danny, Irish and Rose. Rose. Well, folks, we've been waiting for um, a couple of weeks now. Just to let everyone know, that in the month of February, we are sponsored by Premier Commercial Kitchens. Um, and there'll be a wee advert in the middle of the show to let you know more about them. But it's my pleasure and honour, um, alongside Danny now, to announce Howard Gale is our special guest this week. So first of all, Howard, how are you?
2: I'm fine, thanks lads, and thanks for having me on.
1: No, we're really grateful to have you. We've got lots of questions to ask you. Um, for people that don't know, which I'm sure they do by now, we've plugged we've our social media and it down people's throats. Howard is a European Cup winner with Liverpool. Um, and I had the honour, which I've heard him speak in other interviews, he was Liverpool's first ever black player. So that day is just history in itself in this podcast. We're so, so grateful to be able to have a little bit of history shared with, shared with us <laughs> on our podcast today. Um Without kind of further ado, how we just want to kind of ask you to start off with, um, how are you keeping during lockdown and and, and what are you doing with yourself these days, and basically just tell us how are you getting on, basically.
2: Well, I'm like everybody else. I'm you're trying to manipulate and work our way around this this lockdown with the the different stages and the the, the frequency of, of the different changes. But again, as I say, it is what it is. Um, I'm a I'm a community social inclusion coach and this is affecting us really badly because we work with with young children uh, in the vein of um trying to educate them around the, the 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 mindset of football. But also again as I say, from a from a social point of view is having them to have that respect and that nurture again about the the community of which they live in. And um, so it's not just a footballing programme, it's a it's a mentoring programme as well and we try and use um, and uh, educate and develop as many young people as, as, as we can in the, the Liverpool 8 and surrounding areas of Liverpool.
1: Howard, that kind of brings me on to um, a question that I want to ask you. I'm going to ask you now, I'm going to ask you a bit later on, but Howard, you're proud scouter, you're proud to be from Liverpool 8. Um, we were chatting off here, we know that a lot of my family are from that area and I know from being in that area as a child, and and the the general consensus, we know it's a very multicultural area, and people that are from there are really proud of their roots. Yeah, um, and I've heard in previous interviews, Howard. And I know you're probably repeating yourself here, but for the benefit of this podcast and for us speaking to you now, how proud are you to be from L8 and to be a scout Is that represented the But obviously, you've got your African roots as well, Howard. So yeah. just in your own words, how do you kind of um want to portray that to us today? You know.
2: Well, you know, in yourselves again, being being a, a a Liverpool fan in general, what what it means to you as a as a as a fan, and again for for me and the the heights and the 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 positions that that I gained uh, throughout my career. Again, obviously, the proudest one for me is going to be playing for me my hometown club. Um, I followed them everywhere. Um, on a on a on a match day and. Um, it was a, it was a questing in some cases in some days of of trying to get to a match and um, I've even I've even gone to an away match and got there five minutes before the kick off or sorry before the end of the game. That's how <laughs> I, that's that's how committed that we were to to get there to say that we've been there. And was that um, the just your Yeah,
1: from-
2: yeah, yeah. From um, from from Notts Green and. Uh, Muggsy. It was yeah, it was a it was a it was a you know again yourself, we're being a Liverpool fan and living in the city, it's a way of life. And um that that those volumes and that energy again spreads all around the world to to a fan base. That's why we're 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 so good at what we do, is that we found a way of manipulating energy down a phone, down a television wire, and through the the fans in the stadium and over the years, again, as I say, some of the, the results that we've got have, have been unbelievable, but they're only unbelievable to people who don't believe. And the ones who are Liverpool fans are the ones who believe. You yeah. never, you would never write us off.
1: No, 100%. And tell me this How, it, um, how did your kind of story to play for Liverpool be, begin? And any shout out to kind of local teams that you played for before Liverpool? How did it
2: happen? Yeah, well, again, as like anything else, again, over the weekend, Saturdays was now they playing football for your school and the match in the afternoon, and there wasn't there wasn't football on a Sunday then back in the 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 seventies the, uh, the early seventies and so football was 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 cast aside again for for your own playing skills playing in the, the junior leagues and I played for um, played for my school I played for East Villa um up in uh in the West R B League. Um House Colts I played for again. <laughs>
1: yes,
2: heard them. Uh, if, again, as I say, in, in the in the Bootle League. But um I moved back down to the South End when I was just turned seventeen and played for my local team down here, Stanley House, and um played for them on a Saturday. Stopped going to matches now and um I was getting into too much trouble. And and I played there uh, <laughs> for for um the Bedford on a Sunday, my manager for the Bedford knew somebody at Liverpool, and said, "You've got to come and have a look at this young man." And um, the rest was history. I got a, a trial one Tuesday night, and that up to to the, to, to the to go to that trial, I wasn't going to go. Um, All right, I, and get yeah. get this right that you were seventeen. How old you? Yeah, that's yeah. quite late, and really, isn't it? Sorry, I was I was nineteen. I was nineteen. I was seventeen when I when I moved down. Back down to the south end, but I was wow, nineteen okay. when I when I got the trial, and um, I wasn't going to go because I just didn't fancy the failure of being told no and ticking a box. And number but me, my brothers encouraged me to to go because he said at the end of the day, what have we got to lose, and you'll you regret it if you don't in the future. So I did, and um, thankfully again for the advice of my two brothers, again I I, I impressed on the first night and. It escalated into a, a, a second trial where they then signed me on amateur forms, um, and then in November signed me on uh, professional forms.
1: Wow, that's just that's amazing! And, and let me just ask you because I've, I've watched a little a few interviews, kind of leading up to our interview and stuff. You mentioned your brothers quite a lot, so I'm imagining, um, and you hear this a lot from footballers in the past because you were like the. I mean, I don't know what your brothers do, so correct me if I'm wrong here, but you were kind of like maybe the star, or such and, and did you feel the burden of their kind of dreams on your shoulders as well, or?
2: Were you well, you? well, no. Again, as I say, we, my brothers, have always been very supportive of me. My brothers, and um and my one sister, and um, again, it was it was their encouragement that actually got me to go to that trial that night because I was adamant I wasn't going to go. Um. And it was through their their wisdom and and their, their support for me that that I went on that challenge. And, and to be fair, again, as I say, they were they've always been supportive of me. Again, they'd be telling me when I'd be doing things wrong or when I shouldn't be doing things that I was doing. You know what I mean? So it, it, they were they were two wise heads, and um, I'm forever grateful to them.
1: No oh, fair enough. That, that, that's great to hear. Family support, and as I say, back in them days. Families. I mean, I know from speaking to me dad and a lot of people from the LA area, families really stuck together. Yeah, then they, so yeah. It, it's a little bit different to so such now, now. Kind of. So we've we, we've got you at Liverpool. You've uh, you've got your 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 amateur contract, and you went to kind of being with the first team and stuff. Tell us about your first kind of months as a Liverpool player. I know it took you a while to kind of get into the first team. How how did that all happen? And you know, was it? Was it was a Bob
2: Paisley. Was he
1: your manager? Was it? Yeah, yeah. Well, you can imagine. I've gone from
2: the terraces to training with the people who had have been idolising on the terraces within a month, two months, wow. and um, I'm I'm seeing people again. As I say, I was I was I was also I was starstruck when when I first went in there, but I also there was him that I was there for a reason that I had to prove myself, and. Um, had uh, to prove myself physically as well as skillfully, and there was there was a lot of stereotypical attitudes towards black players that we didn't say mm. that we weren't missing we weren't missing in the the cold weather. But again, as I say, I, I, I had a, right. a, a, a point to prove, and um, by gaining that first professional contract, I I'd, I'd proved that point. Mm.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. And tell me this, Sam Howard, and I don't want to kind of. You've, you said we, we've discussed off-air and stuff, and I've seen other interviews. You're, you're open about this type of stuff. So tell me those stereotypical attitudes. Um I'm not going to sit here and bad name former Liverpool players or any Liverpool players. That's not my job, too. But I do know that it was your teammates that were giving you that kind of... Yeah, You had extra points of proof. So can you tell me how that felt like? And, and also tell me what did you do to kind of prove them wrong how how did you go about that and was it just in a grip from growing up in Liverpool or how did you overcome that
2: Um, well again with the with the ignorance and the the bigotry and I I didn't allow that on the streets outside the football so certainly wasn't going to be allowing it inside so I've always stood again through the influence of my brothers again I've always stood up for myself Um, I've never been afraid to fight anybody Especially over racism and, mm. and culture, and it was true again that people who had I'd idolised maybe a few weeks earlier um, didn't have that view about me um, within the sides, within the the corridors of the Liverpool Football Club, and and to name one again, Tommy Smith. Again, he was he was a, a horrible person. Yeah, and he, he wasn't just horrible to me again with with over race and colour. He was he was. Generally horrible. Um, he he wasn't really liked by a lot of the, the the players. Yeah, he um he was he wasn't well liked within the club. There was some players, although again, he was scared of him. But yeah, as I say, I wasn't. And, Did um, you
1: find um, how would that maybe? So the players themselves. You mentioned Tommy Smith. It's been well publicized in the past. Do you find you got more kind of I say the word grief, I don't, want to, I don't know if I'm saying that right, and it's always a tricky kind of subject to use the right terminology. But do you find that you got more stick grief and racism off the players themselves and off maybe fans, or do you find it was a bit of both?
2: Um, well, again, as I say, once, once the the players had, had seen that I was no easy walkover, they had to be careful again now with what they, what with what they were gonna say. And to be fair, again, most of the the players in there again were, were brilliant. But they were they were just one or two who'd be maybe cracking the jokes and, and the other two be laughing. Type of like thing. And and and, and 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 again as I say, for me I it got to a stage where I had to put it in its place. Yeah. And go to Tommy Smith and threaten him. And I would have carried the threats out, you know what I mean? And I think the fact that he knew that, that yeah. after that day again, as I say, he kind of like, well, if he was basically abusing me, he wasn't doing it to my face.
1: Yeah, I get you. And I, think, I,
2: and I think a lot of the other people seen him for that, what he is, a bully. And um, he kind of like, maybe he lost his kudos mm. with, with within the club. Fair well, enough. as I say, that wasn't that wasn't my argument. He brought this to me.
1: No, fair enough. Well, Howard, so we've kind of diving up, but now I want to kind of dive into probably one of the you've stated one of the proudest moments of your life. So you made your debut for Liverpool. Talk us through that moment and talk us through the feelings that two two huge Liverpool fans set an envy of yeah. you <laughs> that you've had that moment.
2: Well, again, as you say, you've you're going from standing on the cop or on the Anfield Road end to now standing in the middle of the pitch. And those people who you used to sing with are now singing your name, and a lot of them knew me as well because again, the, there wasn't many black fans going to watch games then, so a lot Yuckoo. of them knew me. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them knew me from um, from the away games, and that I was a I was I was a popular face, and um, with with uh, me being black, and um, again, there the, was a it it was surreal. It's real again. You you're warming up, and your mates shouting your name, um, <laughs> and you're on a stage, one of the biggest stages in the world, and um, it, it it's awe inspiring. And it, the, the the moments that that you you try hard never to forget, yeah, because they mean they mean that moment that much to you. But also again, is the empathy is is that. You know how much it means to to Liverpool fans again who've seen you come through the, the 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 ranks even though it was late who stood with you on the terraces who fought with you on the terraces or with you on the terraces now again you're you're representing them and there uh, it was a it was a it was a brilliant moment and what what it did do again is you say there, there there'd be there'd be racial shouts from from Liverpool fans our black players. Um and that that tended to sort of like die down after I opposition after that. players. Yeah. No, no, yeah, we from get opposition players used to get ridiculed. Um white players did as well at Anfield again. The cop and the, the our scouts humor was 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 a, it's a, again, it's a way of life. But black yeah. players again used to get singled out even more. And that was the disappointing part about being a Liverpool fan is standing with them. Yeah, you've got a, a, a crescendo of racial abuse coming out from the cock and you're just thinking to yourself, you know what I mean? Why?
1: Yeah, I can understand. I've got a couple of more questions I can't ask you before passing on to a few questions to Danny. But I'm gonna ask another like kind of additional question you'd have just thought of speaking to you. how do you find that now how how to, I'm sure you've been to I mean the incident with Louis Suarez is quite well documented. Um and obviously with the global pandemic where it's different to the moment we can't go to stadium and stuff, but how do you find now that going to a stadium or going to Anfield yourself watching the match? Do you feel that kind of I don't want to say culture or whatever kind of word you use there, is it still is there still a bit of racism there or do you find it's how do you feel about it, basically?
2: Well I well I find that there's there, there and an again racism again for for, for many of the, the white culture is about an understanding and an education about what they're thinking to what they're going to say. Um, I had a, a conversation last season with, with again, when you look at the, um, the condition, is that Andy Robinson, the, the cop and the fans within the, the ground, would sing his name as routine, yet they wouldn't with Trent Alexander-Arnold. And Trent, Trent was last season, again, he, he again he got the Young Player of the Year. So, you yeah. know what I mean? He, he was brilliant last season. And I've, I've been at games and I'm thinking, well, I mean, when are you going to sing his name? Yeah. But Andy Robinson would face down the left-hand mean crossing the ball in, and everyone on the ground singing his name. But they wouldn't do that for Trent. And sent but, from the city, yes, one of their own, and it didn't happen for
1: them. Yeah,
2: and that's kind of like and again, most people wouldn't see, it, and I yeah. see that that that's it. That's it. It's like a, a a conditioning way of racism, is that you'll sing for the for the for the white player, yet You won't sing for the black player, yeah. The black players from the city. He's the majority part of the majority in the team now. Yeah. Well, again, as I say, and I just thought that that was kind of like endemic of, of of the way racism is.
1: People ask me again, has it changed for him? you it, it hasn't. It hasn't changed. Oh, it's really interesting you say that because you say that to me, and that's something I've never noticed. And maybe, and you, you said a key word there, which you hear a lot: education. So yeah. you've just educated me. And I, I, I sit there and I think, you know what, what, why, what? why, surely the lad from Liverpool would be getting this name sung, you know, if not more than the lad from Scotland. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've just underlined it and you've made, so hopefully listeners can understand that type of stuff. Um, I, I remember seeing a, news, a newspaper article, I think it was about Mar- Marcus Rashford, and we know all the great work he's done. Um, and OK, he's a monk, but still. You know, he's a great footballer, he's done a lot of good stuff. He was a newspaper article about him buying a house or buying three or four yeah. houses for his for yeah. his um, family. Yeah. And he got ridiculed as where well. I think it was another player, it was at Luke Shaw, maybe done it, and no the yeah. one there wasn't even nothing said. And uh yeah, but I, I can understand that type of thing. We I are, want to kind we, of we, we,
2: always, go- we always seem to be again at the the points of, of of demonization. And marcus rashford is 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 using his voice and his platform to speak out at the moment, and they'll come for him in the future, yeah for doing that he'll they'll get him some way in the future or some 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 negativity that they can roll onto because of because of him speaking out against the injustice and he's not speaking out again against the injustice of just black kids he's he's speaking of, of white kids of all children. Who are living in poverty, who have got no food um, on the table at the end of the day. So, mm.
1: again, they'll come for them for doing that. I just sincere, sincerely kind of hope that he gets the respect he deserves and, pe- and, and people don't. I want to kind of move on a little bit now, Howard. Uh, we will divulge into that a little bit towards the end of the podcast. Um, so, you're Liverpool player, you've made your debut. Um, obviously, you're, you're famous, you're 61 minutes in Munich. Um, so, how does it feel? to go from making a debut for Liverpool to being a European Cup winner and scoring a goal for Liverpool. How does that, for yourself and yourself only, how proud are you of, you can say that?
2: Well, the achievements in life, and some of them, again, that we can only dream of, and some of them, again, that we can, in some cases, deliver um, um and enjoy. And, um, as I say, I went to bed every night, like every Liverpool fan, again, dreaming of, again, you, you, you'd be playing that game at Anfield. You fall asleep playing a game at Anfield every night. You scored the winning goal, or if you could remember that the next night you it on. That's how you went to sleep. And now again, I was be I was able to live that dream. Now that's it. wasn't a dream anymore. And wow. me, 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 first goal out out we won one and only goal at Tottenham. Um, I think it was me, 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 me full debut after after um Munich. And um, again, as I say, it was just a a, a, a moment again of that I can relive of, of turning around and I've got a Liverpool shirt on and I've just scored for us. And wow. um, for again, for, for, for I know how it is to be a fan and I know how it is to be a, a player and to do it. So I really appreciate um, both sides of the narrative because I've I've, I've done both and I've been both.
1: Fair enough, fair enough. I've got a couple of questions from you, um, from listeners and here, um, Howard, and then I'm going to pass you on to Danny. He's going to ask you a few questions. So, kind if we can do some kind of quick fire. Um, after this, we'll take a, a short break. Um, so, I've, I've been asked by uh, Chris Cunningham, who's the best player that you played against? Against, um,
2: I think it's it's got to be. um back in the day games. The defenders were proper defenders, yeah, and. But I think, again, f- Alan Hansen was was one step ahead. His reading of the game was um, sublime. I've never seen a, a defender who could read the game and and be as comfortable as him. Very, very rarely seen and flustered. Um, play, if he played the game's pace, he'd be one step ahead of it, waiting for it to to happen. And, fair enough, um, and he's, he's certainly a legend at Liverpool as well, isn't he? You he know? is, he is. And again, as soon as he, again, as I say, no jockey again. As I say, I don't think he gets the accolades that he should have done because yeah. again, he was a top top player. Um, as I say, trying to play against him, yeah, yeah. That's to bring your game game. You had to, you have to have a little bit more than just speed, physicality. That's how thinking. That's how good so, he was. Fair enough, fair enough. And
1: I've been asked so obviously you career starts in kind of late seventies at Liverpool, kind of ended. In a Halifax town, but Blackburn was probably probably the best. Yeah, probably party clear. And and the question I've been asked here um, by the listener is what was the training like? So training in the early seventies compared to kind of the early nineties when you was like the end of the seventies to the early nineties when you what was the difference in training? Because a lot happened. And the difference was what was the difference in everyday training?
2: Um, well, again, as I say, the the Not only the training, but the culture of football was changing. Um, We were obviously again a a a group that went out and had a few pints after a game, and um, that was routine. Whereas now, again, the players are a little bit more have a little bit more knowledge about the um, the damage that alcohol can do consuming so much, so much uh, so quickly after after the exercise. So we didn't have that. we didn't have that, that information or that data. We just played hard and trained hard. Um, training again at Liverpool, it was amazing because when I, when I went to other clubs, the first thing that they asked you was, what's the secret about Liverpool? And <laughs> you tell them again that basically Liverpool, it, you didn't get coached. We play five-asides all the time, but the five-asides... Were at a very high tempo,
0: mm.
2: I mean they were quick, and and that's why you see in the the that team again in the in the late 70s, early 80s, how quickly they moved the ball, and mm. um, some of the counter attack football, um, the good two goals at Goodison Park, they were, again the one where Alan Hansen came out with the ball and played yes. Rushton, and I mean Liverpool Liverpool we're, re- were rewriting how football is played. And a lot of clubs around the world were, were looking at the model of Liverpool. Um, we had coaches coming from other clubs who, who on occasion, again, the boss allowed in um, to, 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 to watch training. But again, as I say, a lot of people were surprised that at, at, at the training itself is that they were high, highly um, charged uh, five-a-side games. And the, the movements and the skill level within that it and it, it just it just followed on to a Saturday we played our um, our games like as if it was a, a five-a-side game we moved the ball quickly mm-hmm. um, oh. we were, we, we, were dis- we were decisive we had pace all over the place and we had players who were comfortable on the ball which it had to be um, so, that at least speaks itself and stuff <laughs>
1: um, I've got one kind of last question before we take a quick, quick break and I'll pass you on to kind of uh, Danny but it's a bit of a kind of unusual question and we don't get You know, but here we go Um, what's your favourite song of Liverpool fans sing what's your favourite Dad and Doherty a a friend of ours on the pod asked that question so what's your favourite song that you hear at Anfield
2: I think again as I say nobody who's a Liverpool fan can get away from you'll never walk alone Um, it's really sad that that Jerry's just passed away in the last couple of weeks but we're the only club in the world that's got our own anthem nobody else has got its own anthem we're the only club, and yeah. other other teams and other clubs have tried to adopt our anthem into their own philosophy. Again, Dortmund uh, 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 is, for, is is one club again who sing it. So again, is yeah. say it's, um for the Liverpool fan. There can't be no no other song for us, and and when it's sung, when you're drunk or when you're sober, <laughs> it still it still has that 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 feeling in in your heart, and and um, it's, 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 it's a magical song for us as, as Liverpool um, fans, and um, it's served the club and the team well over the last 60 years.
1: Mm. Oh, brilliant, brilliant. Thank you, Howard. So, we're just going to take a quick break, and then Danny's got a couple of questions. For Howard, so thank you for listening to Avell and Danny's Irish Anfield and Road. Road. This month's episodes are sponsored by Premier Commercial Kitchens. All aspects of commercial kitchen fitting, ventilation and extraction. High-grade stainless appliances, fitted cleaning and maintenance. If you'd like a job done, contact office at premierck.co.uk. That's office at premierck.co.uk. Thank you, Premier Commercial Kitchens. Right,
0: welcome back to Apple and Danny's. Irish Chamfield Road. Now, we're still joined by the legend that is Howard Gale, and he has been describing for us, obviously, the last little while about his experience of the football club uh, and everything to do with the dreams that we have as, as fans of being a part of such a massive club, going from the terraces down to the pitch. Now, Howard, I want you to try and describe for us and try and put into context, because for those that are listeners, we said, a lot of our listeners are from... Ireland, from Northern Ireland, and maybe don't know the culture of Liverpool. When you signed for Liverpool, Liverpool at that time was going through a lot in terms of the, the racial tensions, obviously the Toxworth riots had taken place at that time, um, that we know a lot about as people from the city, and then you sign for this club in, in the midst of, of what is a little bit of a, a sketchy time, the first black player to sign for Liverpool. Tell us, because... Obviously it's a dream for anyone to to put on that Liverpool shirt, to walk out in front of the cop and walk out in Anfield. What was what was your feelings the first time walking out to play a match? Like how did you feel? Did knowing that there was that, that that abuse that was coming from the terraces that you knew as a fan, did that affect your game? Or did you what was what was your mindset going through that that day that you got to play?
2: All right, Dan. Um no well. The one thing that it didn't do is affect my game. In fact, it did affect my game. It made me it made me concentrate and play a lot harder. Mm. Um, it made me a better player because there was no way that I was going to let the bigots or the racists win from the terraces. Mm. And I did all I could to 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 upset them. And the best way to do that was was to play well and to, to contribute to the game and the the more and the the higher the abuse got, the faster I got, yeah. and I, I I loved it. I mean, again, I I fed off it. But yeah. I seen players who who couldn't, who they couldn't handle it, and again, you you see them one minute and you didn't see them ever again, mm. um, because of 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 the abuse and and the jokes and and um, because I've been brought up in a in a in a white area and not a screen, I'd been used to the abuse so I could handle it. I knew how to deal with it. And again, i say so other players, other players, unfortunately, they didn't. But I, I used the, the negative energy and turned it into a positive um, to myself. And that's how I would get myself through games. And mm. um, they'd be disappointed if, if I haven't contributed to the game, if there's somebody on the terraces who's been shouting um, racial abuse.
0: Yeah. And obviously that's proven by the by the career that you had not just at Liverpool but obviously at other clubs as well that you were able to to use that and improve your game and get better and better. Um do you have a a favorite moment like playing for Liverpool specifically was there was there a moment was there a, a time that you would look back on when you think about your time at Liverpool and think that was that was the best time for me? Um for me again, as I say, one of the, the the biggest disappointments
2: that any footballer will tell you is injuries. Hmm. And um, when I went to Liverpool, I had I had a cartilage problem and I hadn't told, them, didn't tell them until it started affecting my game. I used to be sitting on me backside in the middle of the pitch, clicking my knee back in to get my cartilage back in. So eventually, they sent me for um, a scan and found out that it was cartilage in. I had to take it out, and um, I've, I think I, I was back playing though within six weeks. And the norm was like eight, eight weeks, eight to twelve mm-hmm. weeks, but um, I was back playing within within six weeks. And um, but the, the I, I had another problem uh, with the the lower part of my back. I'd cracked one of the vertebrae, and I'd been playing on with this for months, and it was killing me. And I couldn't run, and after games I was doubled up. So again, they sent me to see it, um, uh, a specialist who X-rayed it, discovered the crack in in the bottom of my back. So I had to go into plaster from me from my waist up to my neck for three months. Um, again, as I say, they, when you when you're a footballer and you're incapacitated and you can't play, it's the worst time. It's the worst time being a footballer. Mm. Um, but again as I say I, I got myself back to, to fitness and um, once I did then things started to improve I was uh, my game got a lot better playing within the reserves I was scoring regularly I was um, creating a lot of um, chances for other players I played up front with with Rushy uh, for about 18 months mm. um, also again with, with with Sammy Lee I mean so we, we 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 had a good a good core of, of good players, and it was a great place to to develop, because mm-hmm. again the club was just about to become a, a, a juggernaut. Um, we we started to win trophies with the uh, with the FA Cup and with, with with Bill Shanky, with the league. when Bob Paisley took over, he took the club to uh, to, uh, to a new level, and um, as I say to. To say that the club was a juggernaut, especially within Europe, is an understatement because mm. everybody wanted to beat Liverpool.
0: Yeah. And what give us an idea of what it's like to play under Bob Paisley for us as as fans, especially Ammo, because he's young, um, you get that sort of thing of people not really remembering Bob Paisley too much. But obviously you you worked under him firsthand. What was he what was he like? What made him so special and unique?
2: Well, I think the fact that what you've just come out with saying that Again, nobody knew him because that was the type of man that he was. He was very shy. He um he'd suffer today in modern day football with all the, the cameras and the analysis and everybody wants to comment and you've got to do five or six interviews with different groups and things like that. He he would have struggled with that today. He was just a simple man who had a a, a simple philosophy of of how he wanted the um the the, the team to play. And, and it worked. It was nobody else had a, had a philosophy as, as good as what say, the gaffer had. And again, his, his, his trophies and his achievements at the club are
0: uh, second to nobody. It's so good to be able to get an insight like this and to to know a little bit more about what it was like, I suppose, from first hand, mm-hmm. from a, a Liverpool well, experience.
2: Uh, yeah, well, uh, what. Well, uh, well, well, on a personal note, again, I could moan and complain about it. I could think, well, I didn't get enough playing time. And I would have thought that after Munich, that I'd done enough to convince them that maybe I should have got more games. Mm. But at the end of the day, it didn't happen. And, but as a Liverpool fan, I look back at what he's achieved for, for the club and for the City. Um, as I say again, nobody can argue with that. His record stands up um, mm. against anybody's, so nobody can, can question of of how he did it. Because as Liverpool fans, all we want to know is that it's done.
0: Yeah, that's a. I suppose it's it's typical of what was said about your career. Is that it's a very mature response? Is that a lot of people would, I think throw the head up a little bit and get a bit annoyed that, that maybe they didn't get the playing time that they wanted, but you being from the city, knowing what it means to the city and and being able to to move past that and still have the career that you had away from Liverpool shows the maturity that you had and that's what was obviously comes up when it speaks about your career is that you were mature beyond your years. Well again the one thing that you'd have to be
2: again being a Liverpool player is that you have to be a team player. Mm. And it was it was a, a a great team that was backed up by another great team that was backed up by another great team. So you've got a a management um, uh, level, you've got the playing level and then you've got those who were coming right behind them in the reserves because we won the Central League, which was the old reserve league, um, four out of the five years that I was at Liverpool. Mm. And the other year we come second to Manchester City. So the the success with throughout the club was was um, was a, a, a new philosophy that was that was being bred from the city, and the philosophy was adopted by the club because again I think at the end again with what was going on with the, the, the loss of Ford's factory and and the decline in, in certain industries is that we tended to adopt them and us. Yeah. Um, philosophy from from being from Liverpool, and that's where like the the boys from the black stuff came out mm. and um brookside but yeah again, as I say these these sorts of like militant programs were showing what the atmosphere and what the people were like within the city of Liverpool, and that was exported by Liverpool Football Club because again we were traveling all over the world and Liverpool was starting at that stage now was starting to attract and get followers from abroad as well who mm. were coming into the city but they were also following the team in Europe. So we had a huge following and as I say to say that the club was about to become a juggernaut is an understatement mm. because again when you look on the telly now, everybody looks for Liverpool fixtures. Liverpool's one of the the, the biggest um, marketing agency with you if you want to sell your product you want you want your product sold before or after or Jordan a Liverpool game mm. um and that's the magnitude that they have theres only United who who are getting near us but I, I'm hearing now with the um with the the, the contracts and with Nike that we've gone uh, I think we, we've gone a little bit ahead of United in in the commercial stance because they uh, they they've dominated it for years but I think now that we're um, we, we are one of well, the biggest football club in the world
0: Yeah and I think people people don't quite understand that to a certain degree and it's good to be able to get the history behind it because Liverpool does have that as a city and as a club has that mentality of of them and us and it stems from the political side of, of yeah. what went on in the city during the 80s and yeah. it's, it's made us the club that we are I, I say to Amo all the time I'm always baffled Uh, Like I do a lot of traveling with work, and I can go out. I I was out in China a couple of years ago, but I was in India, and you can go to anywhere in the world. You don't speak the language, you don't know the people. You tell them where you're from, and they're like, "Oh, Stevie Jello!" Like, (laughs) it's it's such a a global community, and Liverpool kind of epitomizes that.
2: Yeah, it's a language into itself. As soon as you tell somebody you come from Liverpool, Mm. you go around the world, get in, the doors open. The conversation yeah. starts, and um, again, as I say, it's it's a it's a legacy that we're proud of yeah. um, as being scouts and as being so popular. Other people again would try to deny us the popularity that we have, but again, as I say, it's 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 evident. So yeah. anywhere you go around the world, and you mention that you're from Liverpool, people want to talk to you.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. Now, moving on a little bit. Obviously, you've had. A, a big career with, with Liverpool and with other clubs as we've spoken about and then you you obviously can't get away from it. You you love the football. You're still involved in a big way now with the, the kick it out campaign. Tell us just a little yeah. bit about that and what's going on and do you think that the kick it out campaign is having the desired effect that you would like to see?
2: Well I'm an I'm an ambassador for both kick it out and for show races my record again mm. I've been working on doing work for them for a number of years and um, both organisations again have, have tried to um, to bridge that gap between uh, or with the issues of racism but what I would say is that racism is a problem for society mm. and not necessarily for football football is sort of like is taking it on its back right now and has done for a number of years. And people are always leading or pointing the way to what football should do about racism within its stadium and, and on now, again, what we're hearing and seeing on social media. But at the end of the day, we've been talking about these same issues for most of, for, for all of my career and post my career is that we're talking about racism and who it affects, who's involved in it, in portraying it, and what the mentality is and the mindset is of people who, who get drawn into it. Mm. And we've been talking about racism for... It, 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 there hasn't been a season since I've finished football that we haven't been talking about a racism at at some level, again, within the world of football. And even if it's not mentioned or if it doesn't go on within professional football, it does within amateur football, it does within junior football. So football, again, can't be held up as the flag or the talisman for eradicating racism. Football does more, than any other organization or any government mm. about eradicating racism from from within its within its um its its hub, but ultimately again there has to be uh, a program that is that is rolled out in local schools as part of education it should be a part of the curriculum mm. and that's what you do you grow a culture up from primary school up to senior school, by the time that those kids have left senior school and they've been through the programme of, of diversity and understanding and culture, is that now you've got a, a, a defence against racism but mm. if we just carry on going on as we've done for the last 40 years, then in 40 years again when, when maybe when I'm not here then you'll still be talking about the same issues and maybe again in, in and what it's starting to do now, it's starting to roll over into other sports. Mm. And you get the likes of like to Lewis Hamilton who's who's a uh, very proactive now. Um and and a lot of stars and, and a lot of a lot of a lot of black personalities are benefiting from it, from the fact that we've spoke out, that we've said something. Because I know in the past, again, um, it was 2016, show racism, we had a, a, a game to try and raise funds, to try overs, and when I rang around certain players, uh, black players, they had things to do on that day. But when you look at the telly sometimes, again, you see that they're on the telly and you're thinking, well, again, when you had your opportunities to show your support, you didn't do it. Mm. But look at you now, again, you want to be outspoken and and be the voice of, of of black people, so it 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 has a a lot of different narratives, and it has a lot of different consciousness mm. that it, it evalu- evaluates itself from how people or what people think about the black culture, mm. what the white culture thinks about the black culture. And some, again, mostly um, people are, are, are brilliant with it. But, again, they say that the people who sit on the fence, there are some who are just out now, out bigots. Mm. The ones who sit on the fence, they're the dangerous ones. Because, again, they know what's going on, but they're doing nothing about it. Mm. They just sit there and say nothing and hope that it doesn't touch them or doesn't involve them.
0: Mm.
2: And that that is the problem, again, of the ones who who know about it but don't say anything about it. You don't stand with us. You don't act on it. But when the time is coming again, the the uh, they've, they've, they've got something to say.
0: And I think, as you said, I think the Kick It Out campaign has had a huge impact in the world of sport and the show racism, racism in the red card. I think, as you said, you've got... It, it's spread and you've got the likes of Lewis Hamilton, you've got the likes of Anthony Joshua and other boys who are, who are really speaking out now in the midst of the yeah. of sport. Would you... Would you like to see anything more done? Do you think there's more that can be done from a football aspect or do you think it's got to be more society-driven now and, and football can't keep carrying this flag, so to speak?
2: Well, it, uh, uh, a young girl who plays net, netball in school doesn't play football, mm. so it can't be a, a, a football approach. It has to be where maybe we use um, sports as a way of integrating um, and understanding amongst our young people. But again, if we'd we'd, uh, paid more attention to this in the 80s, when I first got involved in it, maybe now we'd have a culture of understanding, of better understanding. But we haven't. We've just trundled along and racism comes around every year. Who's involved? who gets said this to, what are we going to do about it, EI, IDO, and it's never changed. I want to say we've missed an opportunity because back in then, if they started that programme then that included all sports, that they got it into the schools, into the curriculum, we wouldn't be in this position now. So it begs the question, is there an agenda? to keep things the way they are. Because the, the, the one thing that I've asked and complained about between those two organisations that kick it out and ra- and show racism in the red card is why aren't you not working together? Why is the two organisations that were supposed to be trying to achieve and represent diversity? Why are you two separate organisations? because what they do is they give funding to one and not to the other. So you should be really, again, one organisation under the one banner. Again, you may be, be able to, to keep your your, your your separate identities, but you should be all pulling in the same way. Show, Show Racism with Red Car does a lot of education within schools and Kick It Out does a lot more with, with the, um, the professional game. Mm. So they could join that up and get into the schools, run the programs in the schools as part of the the, the curriculum, using football and other sports, not just football, because again, racism again, as I say, it crosses all barriers of, of sports. So again, as I say, it's a it's a a large part of the society that we live in. And it's society really that has to to fix this and to mend it.
0: Hmm. And I, think you, I think you put it aptly that, that, as you said, I think it needs to start with education. And with all the move that, that it's done since, since the 80s and even before that, um, coming up to now, there's been positive steps forward. But as you said, there's still so much more to do. And the thing that we can't do is sit on the fence. Um, yeah. and I think it's important that, and that's why that's why it's good that's why it's so amazing to be able to have you on not just to be able to talk about your career but to be able to hear firsthand about what's what's going on and what more can be done and and we have a lot of fans football fans and, and sports fans who listen to this podcast uh, and will fully agree with the fact that that it's not a time for, for sitting on the fence it's a time that we need to make sure that we stand up from all aspects of different communities um, to make sure that we do as 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 the name says, kick it out of of sports yeah. and out of society in general. Now, I want to ask you just in closing because we can't have you on without asking you about Liverpool. You're obviously a big Liverpool fan. You, you're sitting here in your training jacket and your hat, um, and you're obviously same same as always. You love the club. What what do you make what do you make of the team? The last two years have been amazing under under Jurgen Klopp. Trophies. We're going through a bit of a blip at the moment. Possibly coming out of it. What do you make of Watching Liverpool as a fan at the
2: minute. Well, the first thing you see is progress over the the past decade or so. Again, we've had certain managers, and we got to a certain level, and we've we've never really achieved the um, the expectation and the, the the goals that we've set out to do. Mm. Uh, I think with 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 this manager and and this team that he's brought in, that is it's the real deal. Um, I love him again, as I say. I, I think as as a manager, that's how I want my manager. I want my manager bouncing up and down that touchline, intimidating the other manager, the other bench, getting him up off that, and, and that's how I want my managers to be. Mourinho, Mourinho, <coughs> yeah, yeah, and and and, and again, he, he 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 was a breath of fresh air because again, we had managers even with again Rafa Benitez, uh, Roy Hodgson, that again. You see managers bounce up and down the line and you're thinking, give him a slap, will you? Yeah. This is Anfield. <laughs> this is Anfield and he's dominating our line. But with, 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 with Jürgen again, as I say, he's, he's the real deal. And the one thing about him is that he impl- he improves players. Mm. He improves them within, within, within that system. And um, I think that we've done really well at the moment. Again, all our centre-backs are out. And and this is what it breeds. I I can we can breed success because we're finding out now with about some of them young players again, how good you are. Are you yeah. normally again? As I say, all being well, you wouldn't get the opportunities that you're getting right now. Mm. And you are so again. Take them, take them and find out again if you are good enough to play for Liverpool Football Club. Yeah. Um, one or two of them again have shown again that that maturity. Um, to be to play to play for Liverpool, you've got to have a a, a big personality, mm. and you've got to you've got to you've got to be able to survive within a big club on that stage. Mm. And some of them haven't. Some of the younger players haven't. Whereas some of them have, have excelled. And um, Arnold being one of them. Well, well, again, strength again is Jones. Young, again, Casas Jones. Um, uh looking at the the lad who's in there now is it nate um phillips,
0: okay. phillips.
2: yeah nate phillips again i like him
0: mm-hmm. and i me too, too
2: yeah why why would you why would you be going out and i'm buying a, a another defender i'd be maybe looking to to offload one of the ones that we've got because he looks again he, he looks a competent player his defending's good his reading of the game is good his distribution is good and he looks comfortable on the ball. Yeah. Whereas no, I, again, I think it, it was Reese Williams uh, who was deputising for Matip Dudu. He mm. doesn't have that same feeling about him.
1: Yeah, there's a bit of an age difference. So, Rhys Williams is 20, I think it's actually yeah. 30 today. And yeah. Nat Phillips is 23 and he's been to Germany, Stuttgart and stuff. Yeah. Up. I actually agree. You know how I think Phillips has got a bit about him. And yeah. people say he hasn't got the pace, but Carrigan never had the pace. Neither no, did people, Alan Hansen. <laughs> so it's one of them yeah. mm-hmm. kind of to finish up Howard um, I'm done I've got a couple of questions kind of to finish up now. these are my personal questions I'm <laughs> sure Danny's got one shot before we go but the first question that I kind of ask and this is just this is my fan this is me fanboy I was saying to Danny beforehand quite nervous with Neil Miller it was kind of like we spoke to him and then the next day we had him with you we've kind of drawn us out of, so we can get it all sorted. So I didn't have time to get nervous up so and nervous with so you coming on how and it's been an honor for primitive, so thank you. But I have to ask, are you in touch with any of the old players? And I'm not asking you for the numbers anything like that, but are you in touch with any of them? And are you still pals with some of like the big names that you know we've discussed the Lake Daglishes and
2: Yeah, do you, do yeah you
1: still have good yeah. contact with them.
2: Yeah, well again and say the we we before this scandemic again we used to meet Two or three times a year, and I've <laughs> he said that he put it out there. <laughs> yeah, we used to um, we used to meet two or three times a year, and get get some food and catch up on what was going on. Uh We'd have golf days. Um We play various charity games. Some of them in Ireland. Um, so yeah, we 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 had You a... still play,
1: Howard. So when the times are normal, we'll just do
2: you still no. Well, have I, I, I haven't I haven't played for um, must be about eighteen months and. And I've got to go in and have a hernia operation a week today. Oh, oh so, no! Yeah. So oh, fair enough. So, so, so things get on after, after well, that, well, again, as I say, I doubt whether I'll be dotting me me football boots ever again. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. well, uh, uh, in
1: a game anyway, as a coach, maybe fair enough, fair enough. And one kind of last question from me, Howard. So, um, times are normal when uh, Amo and Danny's Irishman for the old podcast goes goes amazing, goes massive, and we do a live show. You come on it first. Of course I will There you go yeah. Perfect, perfect I'll, I'll pass you to Danny Before we end But for me personally Howard You've been a gentleman Um I, Do you know what I was nervous about Doing an interview And it's good Kind of hearing About your career the pool and stuff But I've learned Something today And if nothing else Happens off this podcast I, I've learned Something off you today And Brilliant. I really I appreciate that Because i come on Just wanting to interview A former Liverpool player Quite excited Because the history Behind yourself But I've learned stuff today and it's a shame that we, we kind of have to cut it at this stage because we I could go on for another two hours listening to you. But <laughs> thank you, Howard. Honestly, thank you. And, uh, well, no, back thanks for you having me. I appreciate mm-hmm. it, buddy. I
0: really Nice one, mate.
1: Nice you know,
0: to- it's been amazing. It's been really, really good to be able to get that insight from you and obviously learn a little bit about the what you think of the current team as well. And the last question that I want to ask you that a few people have been asking me to ask you is as a former European Cup winner, Liverpool have obviously won it over the last couple of years, won the Premier League, won the European Cup, and we're at a crossroads now in the season where we're starting to gain a bit of momentum. We're going for a little bit of push towards the end. What would you rather see, Premier League or European Cup? What would you rather Liverpool have been for this season? Both of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is the answer we were hoping for. Yeah,
2: yeah. our, our club, again, as I say, is is it doesn't set itself out for it. Uh, for singularities and a good season is when you've got uh, a trophy room full of new silverware yeah. and that's what our club's about, that's what's expected um, from the fans mm. um, we have a, an ideology in in our club and it, that's been manifesting for the last 40 50 years mm. now and, and there's, there, there is an expectancy that we are going to do well. That we are going to achieve, but more importantly, again, to say is that is that the, the the team itself is going to try for its fans, and that's something again that we've never ever shirked them um, as 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 a as a club. And again, we've we've had our bad days like 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 other clubs, but as I say, we've we've got a a fan base and an energy that is is unique to to Liverpool Football Club. Yep. And it's great to be a part of. Mm-hmm.
1: There you go. So what a way to end. And It's great to be a part of the podcast today. Um, this episode was sponsored by Premier Commercial Kitchens. And in the meantime, thank you for listening to Ammo and Danny's Irish Anfield Road. Road.